Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. I am Jesse Bayer, joined as always by Darnell Dunn. We are the co-founders and managing partners of Abundant Living Ecuador. Another spectacular day here in Loja, Ecuador, although coming from you, coming to you at night here on May 1st, 2016. May Day, and the rent is due, my friend. <laughs> um, we are a real estate and relocation services firm based out of Loja, Ecuador. You can reach us uh, on our toll-free line from the U.S. and Canada at 888-999-0948. You can visit us at our website, abecuador.com. That's A as an apple, B as in boy, ecuador.com. You can, of course, reach us by email, info at abecuador.com. And uh, I just want to say if, you know, wherever you're listening to the show, whether it's on Podbean or iTunes or YouTube, um, do us a favor, rate, subscribe, um, you know, help us, help us grow the podcast, get the message out. Um, wanted to mention today to start the show, we've got, a, we've got a lot for you today. This is the first show that we've done post-earthquake, so we'll certainly update um, all things earthquake related, a lot of interesting policy changes that have come out. Uh, since the earthquake. So we'll certainly talk about that. We'll talk about some new properties that have come along and, and give you, you know, general updates on Ecuador and, and some of the thing, some of the goings-ons in the world. Um, before we get started on that, I wanted to mention, uh, or, or plug, I should say, <laughs> our real estate tour. Um, you know, I, ha I have to say, like, th this real estate tour, it it's the best option out there um, in Ecuador for uh, seeing the country and seeing the real estate market. I, th you know, we're the only tour that does both. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons we, we, we started the tour. We're the only tour that offers both, um, everything you would want as far as seeing the country, but also the real estate market. And we've talked about this before. I won't, um, talk about it too long, but it, it you know, we're, we're excited about it. And we think, we think it is a tremendous opportunity to both, see Ecuador, see the real estate market, and just get all your questions answered. So you can sign up for that at abecuador, excuse me, abectour.com. That's abectour.com. Um, it's 2000 bucks for a group tour for a single, 2500 for with the extension. Um, for an individual tour, it's 3500 or uh, 4000 with an extension. For a single, tack on 500 bucks if you're coming with you know a spouse. Uh, 10 days. Uh, there's a three-day ex coastal extension. We show you what we think is the best part of Ecuador. You get all the food stuff, all the cultural stuff. You get presentations on banking. You get uh, investing, visas, the whole nine. You see the country. You get a sense of the markets, and you and you see a, a lot, quite a lot of real estate. Um, you know, it's really cool too if you're on an individual tour. You know, if you're just interested in one area, like you want to do a 10-day tour of, let's say, the Orient. You know, we can do the entire Orient in 10 days. And you can see, um, you know, every cool little town there is all the way from close to the border of Peru to close to the border of Colombia through the Orient, um, you know, which is, which is a really cool area. Or for, for example, if you're interested more in the, in the Sierras and you want to see, you know, the Cuenca area and the Loja area and, and the three hours in every direction surrounding them, and we can tailor it to your needs if you're on a individual tour, which I think is also 
really cool option and something, you know, a cool feature about the tour. Um, additionally, our relocation services is uh, ready to rock. Um, you can find that at ecrelocation.com. And, you know, that's a product we set up for people who are moving to Ecuador, but don't want to go through all of the hassles associated with a move to a foreign country, potentially in a uh, language that you don't speak, certainly in a culture you're probably not familiar with. So, you know, we set up a all-encompassing service that allows you to move here uh, really, really easily and really smoothly and flawlessly and whatever other, what are those adjectives? I, I never learned that, uh, that in school, <laughs> adjectives, what other, uh, whatever other adjectives you want to put on it. So, um, you know, we help you with everything from visa to banking, to temporary housing, to getting your things here, to real estate related projects or, you know, professional contacts, personal contacts, et cetera. Um, so that's a really cool service and allows you to move here uh, hassle-free. What's the price tag we got on that? I forget. I'm going to look it up. You remember? I don't remember off the top of my head, no. If I'm not mistaken, it's 2500 But let's double-check that. I just clicked the buy now button, as you all should be doing. <laughs> um, buy, buy, buy. As our yeah. friend Jim Kramer would say. Right. Yeah, 2500 bucks. So moving on. Um, price reductions, new properties, some some really cool, cool couple of cool properties we're going to hit on. And, and the first uh, is a price reduction to really ridiculous levels at this point. Basically, the seller has to leave and he's dropped the price. What did he start at? 120 or something like that? Something like that. Um, he's dropped the price now to $80,000. Um, it's in Vilcabamba. It's about mm, 10 minutes or so from the town. It's a lot uh, in a little development that's been done there. Um, the lot is just over 5,200 meters so a decent size lot. Um, yeah, over half a hectare. Over half a hectare. So in acres, that's 1.3 or 1.28 to be exact. Right. Yeah. Um, and it I'm has- learning a, my metric system very Yeah, well. you are. <laughs> and it has a house on it. I mean, it, you know, a relatively nice house, small, simple house, but relatively nice. And it's got nice views and, um, you know, all your services are there, electricity, um, water, et cetera. Um, for 80 G's. So, I mean, two pretty- bedroom, one bath, fireplace, really nice open floor plan, good finishing materials on just a big lot that you can do a lot with, whether you want to build more, put in a swimming pool, put in a garden or all the above, really. And at that price, which is negotiable, um, we have a very motivated seller um, who has some, you know, you just needs to leave the country, um, as Jesse was saying. So, all the information is on the uh, is on our MLS page. You can also find the listing on Plus Valia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, or you know, just contact us, uh, and we'd be happy to um, to set up a viewing uh, and help you make an offer. And then another property which we just put out a property alert on. You won't find it on the website, but it's something we can show. Um, really a spectacular pro- property. We were actually considering purchasing it um, to do a small project, but. Um, decided to to continue our search for for a property to do that on because it was just um, not quite set up the way we wanted for what we were looking to do. But as far as a property, it's 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 the kind of property that has the features that everybody is looking for who's coming to Ecuador. So it's about 15 minutes from Loja. 
Um, it's, it's approximately 70 hectares, so a really large finca. Um, if you're looking for water, it's as, you know, you won't find anything better. There's water all over, pure water pouring right out of the mountains. There's, you know, at the very least six streams inside the property, um, bordered by a small river. Um, just an incredible property. Views, flat. I mean, there's eight plus home sites, um, flat parts all over varied terrain. So if you want to be in the woods, you can be in the woods. You want to be by the water, you can be by the water. For agriculture, it's exceptional. For um, if you want to build high up on the land, which there's some incredible home sites, you can take advantage of the views. You're close to the city. Um, just really a remarkable property and, you know, offer it at 218000 so fairly reasonable as well. The other thing that I really like about it and something that I think people who are going to be attracted to it for the reasons that you mentioned, Jesse, is the fact that it's never been cultivated. There's a farm that was used for grazing cattle. And so nobody has ever cultivated. No one's ever put pesticides in the land. The land is ready to be uh, to be cultivated in an organic fashion. I mean, the air quality out there is is insane. I mean, I was out there the other day grabbing some pictures and um, just breathing the air. It's right next to Podocarpus. So you're surrounded basically on, on a couple of sides by Podocarpus. And native forest as well. Yeah, and native forest. Um, and, you know, we were drinking right out of the streams. The water tastes incredible. You know, you just feel great when you're out there. It's it's a property I would love to own, just an, an amazing Finca, um, and a rare, fairly rare to have that much land, that much flat, that much water, that close to Loja. Um, and, and for a very reasonable price. I mean, you can, you could get it, you know, it's asking 218, it's negotiable. Um, I know the owner won't drop the price too much from there, but, um, you know, right around 200,000, you could, you know, have an incredible, just an incredible property right outside of Loja. Yeah. Motivated seller as well, too. Uh, he needs to leave the country. His wife recently got a job in Mexico, so she's gone ahead and he's in a situation where, you know, he knows what the property is worth, but if somebody were to come along with the right offer, I think it'd be a very smooth sales process. Yeah. And that's the kind of property too, that if you, excuse me, if you wanted to recoup some of your investment, you know, you could split it up and make two properties out of it, sell a big piece and, you know, get more than half what you paid back in that sale, potentially even almost all of what you paid for in that sale. Um, and that just goes back to kind of the, the way land is valued here. Um, the larger the property, the less the value per, per square meter or per hectare, obviously, but it's really, it's really extreme the way that happens. So you can get, you know, one or two or three hectares often for the same price, you can get 30 or 40 or 50 or 80. Um, so very interesting that way and certainly something to be taken advantage of if you're thinking about buying big properties, chopping them up and selling pieces, you know, you can do well that way. So those are uh, a couple of new properties we wanted to mention, a couple of new blogs as well on, on the site. And that kind of leads us into some of the earthquake stuff, but go check out the, the two blogs. One is on uh, consider, one is called considering options in the light of, in light of the recent earthquake. And you know, that gets into a bunch of stuff, including where is dangerous um, to live as far as both earthquakes and other things, but specifically earthquakes. Um, you know, why we're in this part of Ecuador. 
Um, we may talk about some of this stuff a little later in the show, but that's an interesting read. And there's some interesting links to some articles that give you a lot of information if you're interested in subjects such as safety surrounding earthquakes, etc. The other one is uh, Darnell penned on checking out the coast post-earthquake. And that's also an interesting read because he last week took a trip uh, basically from Guayaquil to a bit north of Olone. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, saw the whole coast up until north of Olone. So uh, that's an interesting read. Um, and I'm sure Darnell will share some of his uh, insights in this podcast as far as what he saw. But just um, interesting to note that the earthquake epicenter, which was further north in Muisne in Esmeraldas, uh, seems to be fairly compact. Um, certainly didn't get very far south because Darnell saw no damage uh, anywhere on the coast from Guayaquil to north of Olone. So check those out. Um, let's jump into the earthquake. So, you know, as probably all of you or most of you listening to this are aware, Ecuador suffered a, a 78 uh, on the Richter scale earthquake. Uh, I forget the date now. I don't have it in front of me. April but a couple 16th. Of, April 16th. Last Saturday. Okay. So or two Saturdays ago, I'm sorry. Yeah, because okay. it's yeah. the first two day. weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of damage. It was it was done it was in Muisne in Esmeraldas, the province of Esmeraldas. Um, some towns got hit really hard. So uh Puerto Viejo in particular, um, I think maybe took maybe got the worst of it from what I've read and seen. Um certainly any building that went up in the immediate area that wasn't built properly is no longer standing. Um, a lot of damage to a lot of poorly constructed buildings. Interestingly enough, well-constructed buildings, uh, it seems had no damage. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that Darnell talks about in that blog post is, um, two properties that we signed recently in what town? Um, in Crucita. Right. Called. Like, right. In Crucita, which is how far from, from Wiesne, would you say? Um, from Wiesne, it's probably like... I don't know, maybe 40 miles or so. Okay. So, I mean, certainly in the vicinity. Yeah. And there may have been a, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we, we were- we Well, were, actually, it's right next to Puerto Viejo, which was basically destroyed. Right. And that's, I mean, it's in the same canton. So, I mean, it's maybe 15, 10, 15 minutes away, right on the beach, no damage at all. When you go to Puerto Viejo, yeah, it might be the most damaged city in the entire, in the entire country after the earthquake. And that's the capital of the uh, of the province of Manabí. So, um, they um, specifically what they did is they um, they built their foundation uh, three meters deep, or about ten and a half feet, give or take, of reinforced uh, reinforced concrete, and you know no damage there. Very close to the epicenter. And I think you know I was looking at an email you forwarded me from those uh, sellers. It sounded like the town wasn't damaged at all either even being that close to the epicenter. Yeah, very little damage, no loss of life. Um, the infrastructure is still intact. So very interesting the way that happened. You know, certainly there were deaths. Um, it's hard to know at this point what the final number would be. We're over 600 at this point. Uh, there's estimates as high as 3,000 as far as when they find all the, all the bodies. Um, hard to say, but certainly there's been loss of life. Um, injuries, lots of people, you know, people in the thousands still missing, um, perhaps 2000 or so, uh, still missing. Um, so, you know, tragic event, certainly and Manabe province, at least parts of it were hit fairly hard. Um, we felt it here in Loja. Um, I was sitting on my couch and, I, uh, first like actual kind of 
significant earthquake that I had ever felt in my life being from the East coast of the States. You know, we don't get earthquakes there. Um, it made me feel drunk. You know, I felt like I lost my equilibrium. Um, and then my window shades started, um, whacking against the window and I thought the cats were like playing with them. So I went over to look and then I realized I felt, A, I felt drunk and B, all my window shades were whacking against it. So I was like, oh my God, earthquake. Um, so we felt it a little bit, um, but you know, no damage whatsoever in this region at all. I was sitting at my desk in the office getting some work done. And uh, at first, yeah, this was the first significant earthquake I ever felt as well. And uh, I'm sitting at the desk and then all of a sudden I'm feeling really dizzy. I'm like, what's going on? I'm thinking I'm having heart palpitations or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then uh, there's some, Jesse's desk is or office is right in front of mine. And then in front of his office are three plants that we have. And they're all in stainless steel um, plant holders. And those start rocking back and forth on our tile floor. And I'm like, oh, this is an earthquake. <laughs> And then I went and stood under one of those uh, weight-bearing pillars next to a door frame. I'd seen that on TV somewhere. It's like <laughs> something you do in an earthquake. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, that was it. Um, you know, kind of surprising. Uh, never experienced an earthquake, as I mentioned before, but no damage here. And, you know, interesting too. I mean, we, we settled on Loja in part for safety reasons. Um, there are no major fault lines anywhere in this area. Um, you know, but Ecuador, well, really, you know, the entire, you know, ring of fire and, uh, the entire really Pacific coast of the world basically is, um, you know, a, a seismically active zone, but we're in the Andes mountains. So we're, you know, very far inland. We're in basically the second safest seismic, uh, zone in Ecuador outside of the Orient, basically the Amazon jungle. Um, which is the least likely to have any earthquake. Um, but, you know, partly we're here for those reasons. Interesting that we did have an earthquake, which, you know, talking to people, you know, they say never happens. But I mean, we're in a, you know, we're kind of in that period. The earth is going through changes. There are, you know, there are those kinds of things going on in the world, certainly at an increasing rate. Um, and we feel like, you know, for earthquakes, volcanoes, um, you know, nuclear energy facilities, any sort of thing like that you can think of, we are in what I consider really to be the, the, the best place in the world, um, which is, you know, ha played a factor in us being here. Again, go read those blogs. You can read about that. It also has a link to this article, which I think is really interesting, called, um, the title of is Saturday Quake Devastates Coastal Areas, But How Vulnerable is the Rest of Ecuador? And that's in Cuenca High Life. You can, I'm sure, Google that as well and find it. You can also find it on our Facebook page, which I encourage you to visit and uh, and follow. Um, but, and like. And like, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, the, they talked to some some scientists and some uh, you know, experts in, in this field and, and, you know, Cuenca as well is pretty low risk place. Um, Loja is a low risk place in Ecuador. And interestingly enough, the area that the earthquake hit is the highest risk area in the country. So not a huge surprise that they would have an earthquake there. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons, for example, we didn't settle on the coast because there is that risk, at least more so in the northern coast, um, which is where this happened. 
but uh, keto is at you know has some some risk as well, um, much more so than where we are. They also have the volcanoes in the north of the country. So interesting from that perspective. If you're looking to get away from some of those things, um, the Southern Andes are good. The Amazon is excellent, um, which is we also have. You know, we're right on the border between um, the mountains, uh, uh, the Sierra, what they call them, and and the Oriente, which is which is the Amazon. So. Yeah, anything else on the earthquake specifically? Um, yeah, I guess I can get into my trip a little bit. Yeah, um, please. So I, um, it was really interesting because I had uh, had a conversation recently with a good friend of mine who's a lawyer in Guayaquil, uh, and I was checking in with him about about something totally different, and then he asked me, you know, when are you guys planning on expanding to the coast? I've got all these clients that would really be interested in what you guys are doing, and working with you. And, and I had, at that point, we had just signed those two properties right outside of Manta. And I said, okay, well, you know, I recently, it's funny that you ask, we recently signed some properties there. You know, I'd be open to checking some things out. And he said, well, you know, let me make some calls. When can you come? So I had scheduled it for last no. Friday. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's scheduled to go down there last Friday. Um, but this was before the earthquake. And so after the earthquake, you know, the, First thing, you know, after I finished, you know, answering uh, all the people who had reached out to to me about, you know, my safety after the earthquake. I mean, people heard about it from outside of the country before I did. Um, I didn't hear about it until I, you know, started to Google it because, I mean, I knew obviously I experienced it, but I just meant the, the damage um, because we didn't experience any here. And so, you know, I checked in with him, obviously, first to find out if he was safe. I just assumed that the trip had been canceled. You know, I heard that some things had happened in Guayaquil. Um, from what I saw when I went there and from talking to my friend that lives there, um, the damage was um, maybe overreported or just not as widespread as one would have been led to believe from reading the news stories. So, um, you know, I called him to see if he was okay. You know, he was, and obviously his family is good as well, too. And he, you know, asked me, you know, are we still going this weekend? I said, oh, you know, how is everything? How are the roads? Because um, I heard that there was a, a lot of damage to the infrastructure there and was really concerned about it, um, given that we had just, you know, signed these two properties on the coast and are committed to selling them. And so he said, no, no, that's not an issue. You know, I've been, I had been up that way. And, you know, if you can, if you can make it, uh, you know, let's go. So I didn't want to break the appointment. I was kind of hesitant about it and kind of feeling like he was just telling me what I wanted to hear, just telling me uh, that I should do it because he had already made the commitment. Um, but, you know, I felt obligated to go. And so I, I went through with the trip and I was pleasantly surprised. Um you know, there was no damage where we went. Um, I talked to some real estate agents out that way, seen lots of different really interesting properties. And um, the southern coast seemed like it seems like it has less risk than the northern coast. Uh, if you're talking about a place that experiences a, a 7.8 on the Richter scale earthquake, you know, less than 100 miles away and there's no damage to speak of. You know, that seems to me is is a place that that um, shouldn't be ruled out altogether um, as a place to to um, live or to have a second home. Um, so we're entertaining looking at some other properties out that way. And um, we, you know, maybe signing them in the not too distant future. And I know you were it was just interesting hearing from you when you got back, just that you literally just didn't see any damage. No, not at all. Like not one thing. 
How far, I mean, you probably don't know off the top of your head, but do you have an idea how far, like when you, the furthest north you went? So I don't know, how far past Alone did you go? We, I went probably about 20 minutes to a half an hour past Alone. So you're talking about 15 to 25 miles away from the border with Manabi. Okay. And then how, how far then do you think for to Muisne? Any idea just off your top of your head? I would say maybe 150 miles. Right. Give or so, take. Rel- so yeah, relatively I mean, not close and, and didn't see anything as far north as you got. And that's the other thing about the coast too, is it's very flat. I mean, it's not like you're, it's not like it's going to take you a long time to get from one point to the other on a road like that. Yeah. And the coast is essentially all flat. Um, it gets into the mountains very quickly as you go inland, but um, the, almost the entire coast is flat. Right. And some parts of, of uh, the interior of Manabi are a little hilly as well. Yeah. Not mountainous, but, you know, rolling hills. Right. Okay. Good stuff. So uh, did you get to go swimming while you were down there? I didn't. It was a very quick turnaround, unfortunately. Uh, I would have liked to spend more time there. Uh, but I think with these properties that we're looking at at this point, I'll have the opportunity to go out there in the not too distant future and we'll definitely take advantage of it. Dar- Darnell doesn't take a lot of time off. <laughs> um <laughs> Well, that brings us to kind of what the government has then done with the earthquake. So very interesting sort of developments and reactions, I would put that word in quotes, um, to the earthquake. Um, And I think it's interesting to step back and look at the context that the earthquake happened in. So, you know, Ecuador has a severely negative GDP, uh, will have a severely negative GDP in 2016. Uh, We've got rising unemployment uh, low oil prices is really the driver behind those facts. Uh, government uh, has lost a major source of revenue with oil prices. They're in, they're seeking to fill those budget gaps by raising taxes, raising fees. You know, all your hidden taxes stuff are going up through the roof. Just to give a quick anecdote on that, I was at the Municipio last late last week. And, you know, we had to buy a piece of paper uh, and I'm not even going to go down that road, but we had to buy a piece of paper from the Municipio Municipio in order to, the Municipio is like the, uh, like city hall. I don't know. What is the like yeah. equivalent? Yeah. And, um, and uh, we had to buy a piece of paper, myself and uh, somebody who we work with, who works for an attorney who we work with here in order to submit a, uh, like a petition. Uh, I don't know. What's a solicitude in English? <laughs> um, a solicitude is like a, um, is like a, shoot. Any, anyways, I mean, what, what, however, that's why I'm like talking like this. Cause I'm thinking of all these words in Spanish and they don't have, I don't know their exact uh, translation, but anyways, you know, it's like a petition, I guess. Yeah. Be? That's what I said. Yeah. Peti- oh, you did. Yeah, okay. yeah. Maybe like a petition. Yeah. Um, anyways, we had to buy like this a request, a request, yeah. right. <laughs> No, we had to fill out forms, basically, <laughs> but we had to pay for the forms before we filled them out. <laughs> so, so we had to buy the piece of paper, and the piece of paper was two dollars and ten cents. And of course, you know that's a small number. Nobody would get up in arms about that. Certainly, coming from you know elsewhere. Um, but uh, you know the the person I was with was commenting to me that just last year that piece of paper was fifty cents, and that's really indicative of what the government has done here. Uh, surrounding taxes and fees. And um, we're not going to get into that deeply, I don't think, right now. We've talked about that a lot in the past. We want to get to this, you know, specifics of some of these major policy uh, implications that have taken place recently. But that's just the environment we're in. So 
Um, in that environment, this 7.8 earthquake takes place. Um, it devastates, you know, at least one, you know, small city um, and certainly hits some other towns pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, Puerto Viejo is the sixth or seventh most populous city in the country. Which by... You by international standards is still a small city, <laughs> but but yes, for Ecuador, yes. like a decent sized city. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, how? Where's Loja on that list? Loja is number nine. So bigger than Loja. Yeah, bigger yeah. than Loja. Okay. And so, bigger than Manta as well. Oh really? Yeah. That's surprising. I mean, they're very close. I mean, it's not a big difference, but but it is. It has. Oh, I more had people. no idea. That's very interesting. Uh, Manta feels like a bigger city when you're in it than Puerto Viejo, but but um, I guess Puerto Viejo is just larger geographically, must be. Um, anyhow, so so that's the environment. 7.8 hits, devastates a certain area on the coast, um, and now we've got you know an estimates ranging from like three to five billion in reconstruction costs. So what does the government do? They I wonder how much of that is interest. On yeah. top of interest, on top of interest. <laughs> right. You know, well, I mean, how much of that is just going into, you know, private jets and, and nice dinners and bottles of, you know, Johnny Walker Black. But um, anyhow, so immediately all of these tax proposals get implemented and most of them were stuff that had already been proposed prior to the earthquake. So for, you know, a couple of weeks earlier, the president had made some tax proposals, which of course only means increases in taxes. And he wanted to increase basically sin taxes, cigarettes and alcohol. He wanted to, and I think we talked about some of this last yeah, week. We he wanted to um, put a tax on physical cash, leaving the country over like 1100 bucks or so. Um, excuse me. And uh, so he then implemented all of that stuff because he wasn't able to implement them prior. Like he had proposed them, but there'd been a lot of backlash and they were on hold. Earthquake strikes, boom, they are, they're right through under the banner of helping the earthquake victims. Then there's a whole additional round of taxes. He raises uh, the value added tax from 12 to 14%. Very interesting in the light of his 2006 campaign promise to lower it from 12 to 10. He's now raised it to 14. And keep in mind that they're saying that these are just one-year tax increases. But show me any government in the world that's put in a one-year tax increase. Yeah, right. And, and actually, like, allowed it to expire. And, I mean, it yeah. has happened, of course, but, but— But, I mean, they didn't—they um, renewed the uh, Salvaguardias taxes. That, that was a—just um, to give you guys some context, those were some import taxes that they had put into place last year that were supposed to be for 15 months to combat low oil prices. Uh, because here in Ecuador, uh, Ecuador uses the U.S. dollar as legal tender, and the countries surrounding it use their own currency. And as the U.S. dollar has risen, um, partly because of low oil prices, with the given the idea that the U.S. will grow much faster, um, given the fact that oil prices are low, um, that the dollar has risen very significantly against currencies like the Peruvian. Uh, Nueva Sol and the uh, Colombian peso, uh, two countries that border Ecuador. And so- um, Heard exports. Had, yeah, herd exports. And so they needed to um, to uh, combat that in by, you know, doing what? Raising taxes. So Right. So, so all of those taxes go through and then he raises the IVA. He puts a, like a, basically a 1% tax on wealthy Ecuadorians. Um, Which I don't know. I don't understand how that's levied, but yeah, it's. I was unclear about either. how it I is. I was other. trying to figure that out also. 
I don't know how they, but it's a net wealth tax. I mean, a net, yeah, yeah net wealth tax or why well, I mean, not a net worth. That's net wealth. Um, a net worth tax. If you are worth more than a million dollars and, yeah. and I don't know how they do it. I mean, they must do it with property and they probably use uh, municipal uh, valuations, valuations yeah, for that. God, yeah. So if you have more than a million dollars in assets, if you own anything <laughs> because the municipal is going to say your $200,000 property is worth 3 million. <laughs> right. Therefore you're rich. So you pay a, a 0.9% tax on wealth. That's a one-time fee. And because we're all about solidarity here in Ecuador, everyone has to share the burden. And so if you make over a thousand dollars a month, you're giving the government in taxes one day's pay. That's another if, measure that he, he put into uh, law. Yeah. If it's two, over $2,000, it's two days pay up into $5,000 where it's five days pay over a five month period. 4,000 would be um, one day's pay over a four month period and so on. Right. And of course, this money all goes into the black hole that is government. And, you know, they do whatever they want with it in the name of of uh, helping earthquake victims. They're also, interestingly enough, um, doing their part to contribute to the effort by. <laughs> well, that's well said. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we we're all sharing in the burden. Right. <laughs> so they are also selling assets um, and taking loans from the IMF. Um, similar to another campaign promise, maybe you remember this a little bit better than I do. Uh, what was he saying about the IMF? When well, I he mean, they're the devil, according to Correa. So, I mean- Which is true, but- he, Well, it is true. It is true. But, but I mean, so is Correa. You know, they're all the devil. You know, every the government and the IMF are both the devil. Um, but- but yes, I mean, he campaigned specifically against the IMF. And, and defaulted he, on loans as well. And then he well. stuck them for loans, right? So, um, you know, they're, they're evil, they're the devil. I mean, I think he's literally called them like evil or the devil or something something like that. And he's now he's now going to them for loans. Um, Minor setback for a major comeback, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's just, you know, all this stuff is just a show. It's, it's like, theater. But it's I mean, theater, they, yeah. just, they just got him with the reach around. I mean, it's like... Oh, you know, he's against the uh, he's against the IMF and the powers that be, and you know he's standing up for Ecuador, and so he defaults on one loan and then you know comes back around for a much bigger one. And this package of selling assets includes um, the hydroelectric dams that they had taken a loan from China to build in 2010 and or 2011. These are high interest loans, by the way. Um, 6.9%, I think was the lowest. And then they, they're high interest loans that are then also have as part of the deals, which mind you, the Ecuadorian government does not disclose the terms that they borrow money from, from China, for example. Uh, but anyways, they're high interest loans and they also provide China the rights to, to natural resources in Ecuador on top of the interest, <laughs> which of course Ecuador can never repay. Right. And so they, um... There's an interesting article that I wanted to um to to touch on uh, here. It is from it is from let's see, let me see if I have the source here. Just while I mean, while you're looking that up, um, you know, that's very very much uh, similar to you know his whole thing, which we touched on last week about not drilling in the Amazon. And then subsequently drilling in the Amazon because, you know, the big bad oil companies are also evil, which they are. <laughs> but he also, you know, so they're evil. The miners are evil as well. So he closed down all the mines. They're back. But but 
private Ecuadorians can't mine, um, but China can and, and, you know, multinationals can. And he's drilling in the, in the rainforest and, um, you know, and Darnell will jump into this now, but, uh, you know, it ties into the point you're making here. Right. Yeah. So this was from, um, okay. So this is the first article from hydroworld.com. This is from October 20th, 2011 titled China provides funding for Ecuador's 487.8 megawatt, um, hydroelectric dam. The government of Ecuador has signed a credit agreement providing $571 million from the China Export-Import Bank to build and equip the uh, Sopladora, something like that, um, hydroelectric project in Ecuador. Ecuador State Hydroelectric Generator awarded a contract in 2010 to a consortium of, uh, of China to build and commission um, the hydroelectric plant on the Paute River in Asuay in Marona, Santiago provinces. The credit agreement signed October 17th in China brings financing uh, to 100% at 671.1, excuse me, 672.1 million, uh, the state-run news service El Ciudadano reported. A uh, part of the Paute hydroelectric complex uh, is to have no dam but to utilize the water discharged by the 1,075 megawatt Paute project, together with the one point, or excuse me, together with the 162.6 megawatt Mazar project uh, that was inaugurated in January in planned in a planned. Uh, this is another Spanish word. I'm having a hard time. Per, uh, pronouncing, but another plant. <laughs> uh, the projects are optimized to use the Paute River's hydro potential. A, con- a Chinese firm signed the contract to build the, the, uh, one of the other plants. So overall, I think the takeaway from this is that you've got, not only are they build, not only are they financing the projects, but their Chinese companies are building them. So the benefit to the Ecuadorian people, quote unquote, for these kinds of deals is minimal at best. Um, they've also gone about, uh, there's an ordinance around, across the country. I guess you wouldn't call it an ordinance because that's municipal. Um, but I guess, I don't know if it's a law or something like that, but um, they're requiring people at the municipal level, but this is a, a national directive, maybe that's a better way of saying it, that um, you have to switch over your electricity from 110 volts to 220 volts. And apparently that is more compatible with the hydroelectric dams. And they've been talking about how they're going to invest the funds in in these kinds of projects because it's a public good in that ultimately it's going to save the government and subsequently the people of Ecuador money if they invest in these projects. And the president, and I was actually looking for the source for this, um, had come out and said that had defended his use of spending social security funds um, on these kinds of projects because it's really a savings in the long run. And it's a, he used some kind of term like social investment or um, some, some other sort of new speak, you know, liberal, Orwellian, Orwellian, <laughs> yeah. double speak. <laughs> exactly. Um, the funniest thing about this is now um, these dams are some of the assets that 
the, the state is going to sell. So after they've taken the social security funds from the people to invest in these projects that they're supposedly going to get a return on, um, now there goes that return. So let me, let me, let me get this straight. Um, they, they raise taxes, they create a social security fund, then they steal the money, use it for uh, hydroelectric dams, among other things. Then they pay, they take a loan from China at high interest, also then agree to allow them to use natural resources within Ecuador as part of the agreement to the loan. Then they owe China the money still, of course, for those projects, but they sell them to the public as something that's going to save people money and help Ecuador. And then they ultimately pay, and then they, of course, pay China, uh, Chinese companies to do the work. So it's actually China, that money is getting borrowed from China and then going back to China to do the work for these projects. And then they take the actual finished product of the project and then sell it to China yeah. while still owing them the money on the loan, still having stolen the money from Social Security. And now the project is private. So the whole savings idea that they use to sell this to the public is out the window. Exactly. Because who ends up paying, who are the Ecuadorian people paying for the electricity? China. Right. So defend that statists. <laughs> but no, um, no, that's fascinating. And then you had. Uh... Oh, another thing, too. Um, another state asset that's very interesting. You know how they were talking about Tame now, you right. know, losing Airline, all this yeah. money. There's, they may be selling it right to China. Right. Well, of course. These assets. I mean, you know, I mean, you've been listening to this podcast. We've been telling you that China is going to take over Ecuador and all these other countries for, you know, a couple of, well, we've been talking about it for much, many more years than that. But since the, this podcast started, um, so we're just seeing the results of, you know, what we already knew was taking place now. Another interesting thing in this article from Cuenca High Life about this, um, because that was another article. I wanted to read the first article just to give you some background about where the financing came from to do the dam. Um, Now, this is an article that came out uh, today from Cuenca High Life titled Government to Sell Assets, Including New Hydroelectric Plant Near Cuenca to Pay for Coastal Reconstruction. Um, One of the other assets that they're considering selling is um, the government's phone company, CNT. Which selling is, a stake or something, yeah. Say, yeah, a public-private partnership, they've called it. Right. You got to love those. <laughs> and what's very interesting about that specifically is that one of those, in I think that syntax package, one of those um, taxes was part of the initiative to get people to use the um, the electronic money here. And so what they're doing is adding a 15% tax on um, your, your cell phone, well, all cell phone and landline services if you, um, if you pay in regular money. But if you pay in the electronic currency, then that tax doesn't exist for you. And given the fact that CNT owns a major, I mean, they own almost... I would be surprised if they had less than 90% of the market share for landlines. Yeah. And um, they've got a decent market share. They're probably the one of the smaller ones though in the mobile in the mobile um, cell phone service space, but um, certainly uh, one of the larger players in that space. So it's just interesting that um, that they would sell that asset um, in that that would be, you know, those two things would be connected in that way. At least the timing is is kind of the same. 
So interesting to think I mean, about. it's 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 hard to bankrupt a nation um, that doesn't have its own currency because, you know, there's no debt-based currency to create greater and greater sums of debt like the U.S. and almost every country in the world that has its own currency. Currency is issued at debt and creates enormous amounts of debt as the money supply increases. But in Ecuador, they use the dollar. So if you're... if it takes quite a feat to bankrupt a country when you've got oil up, you know, up the wazoo, you've got gold uh, up the wazoo, you've got copper, you've got, you know, lots of wood, you've got, you know, just incredible amount of natural resources, water, um, silver. silver, right. Um, you have to spend money like Ecuador has over the last eight years <laughs> and take on enormous amounts of high interest loans to be able to, you know, they've more than doubled the size of government from 2006 to 2013. Right. I mean, they've. Tr I mean, if you just look at what we've seen in Loja since we got here, the presence of government has what tripled. Cops, municipal workers, you know, all just all of it. Um, Absolutely. So at a time when the federal government is cutting, um, you know, budgets to cities and towns. So interesting, the you know interesting how that's going, how that's playing out. Um, just to get these numbers to you really quick. So the number of for the amount of cash you can take out of the country tax free is now one thousand ninety eight. Um, and or three months of pay for somebody making minimum wage. I think that's an important baseline to use because. You know, we just need to, you know, sharing is caring. And this is interesting as well in the context of um, a referendum that has been approved to allow for Correa's re-election. So they are now allowed to put to popular vote um, the ability to approve Correa's right to run again, which currently he cannot. Um, so that is also in process as the, the Supreme Court has, uh, or the, I think it was the Supreme Court, but, uh, has the court in Ecuador has allowed that referendum to move forward. But he doesn't want to run. So he says, although, well, actually, you know, I just, I just closed that article out cause I finished talking about it, but it said in that article, and it was a Bloomberg article, I believe, um, that he hasn't ruled it out. Um, I know we've heard, he's made a lot of statements saying he won't run again, but interesting, at least in that article, they say he hasn't ruled it out. Well, of course, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, he's gonna. He's been saying leading up to this point, no, no, I'm not going to run again. And and uh, but you know, now that you know that law is on the or that referendum is on the table, that will pass. You know, then he can say now he can sort of hedge himself. Well, I don't know in that, that direction. I mean, it'll be interesting if they put that to popular vote. You know, it'll be interesting to see what how that goes. I would be, um, I mean, unless they just you know use their electronic voting machines and and say it won. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that if that measure lost. Um, so that would be interesting if that happens. You know, what would be even more interesting is if you know he ends up winning it somehow, some way through the through the. Um, with the help of uh, advanced technology. <laughs> on a roll today. <laughs> if he does that and then rejects it, 
because it's like, oh, you know, I just want to be with my family so he can sort of like ride off into the sunset and then, you know, come back in 2021 is, you know, I, my country needs well, me. Well, I mean, if you were to stick around and see the results of the policies you've implemented over the last number of years, I mean, you know, you wouldn't do that either. So, <laughs> something. And he'll come back and, and, uh, and campaign on how he's reduced poverty by stealing from one person and giving it to another. Namely himself. Um, interesting article. I out digress. Of, <laughs> yeah. Interesting article out of the New York Times. Um, earthquake title is Earthquake Jolt, Jolts Ecuador into Enacting Long Avoided Fiscal Changes. That's just funny the way they, the way they <laughs> frame that. But Puerto Viejo, Ecuador. Even before the earthquake struck, prospects were rough for this tiny Andean nation. Oil prices, which once fueled a government spending bonanza aimed at the poor, had collapsed. The economy was contracting. The only lifeline came from China, whose loans included high interest rates and terms that the government here has not made public. Now, after Ecuador's largest earthquake since 1979, the country's leftist leaders are turning to the kinds of measures they rose to power railing against. On Wednesday, Ra President Rafael Correa delivered the news on television. There would be an increase of two percentage points in the sales tax, that's the VAT, the value-added tax, a one-time garnishing of government wages for those earning more than $1,000 a month. Oh, just government wages? Uh, yeah, I thought it was, well, he certainly proposed it for everybody. I don't know, let me see the date of this article. This is from the 23rd. Um, so this, yeah, this is all, this, this is, no, I believe it was everybody. Um, unless, unless, uh, you know, we both missed that, but I think it was everybody as well. Yeah. Cause I mean, I would say that <laughs> I was thinking to myself that, you know, percentage wise, it's probably 80% of government workers who are the people who make, make up that, that group. kind of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just to, you know, jump off on a tangent there real quick. That is just the divide that Ecuador, that Korea, uh, is creating in Ecuador between those working for government and those not is really amazing to see. Um, minimum wage in Ecuador is $365 a month. They then take taxes out of that check. So you can subtract 30 or 40 or so a month from that to, for your take home wages. That's how much you get as, I don't know, maybe 80% of the private sector working makes, makes that or less off the books. Government, people who work for government in any capacity make good money for Ecuador. I'm talking three, four, five, six, seven, eight times the number that the private sector can bear. So, and at the same time, those jobs have been increasing for years now. So the government buildings in Ecuador are the nicest buildings in Ecuador. The government's cars are the nicest cars in Ecuador. The, you know, cops get new uniforms all the time. The, the cops make a lot of money. The military, you know, they've, watch out, they've got to fight, you know, those crazy nations like Peru. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the government has, makes a lot of money. And well, they so, lost three wars too, by the way. Right, they did. In over half of their country. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, you know, at this point, like, you know, the, the chances of a military skirmish in Ecuador are zero. Um, I but mean, those guys Peru are, already took what they wanted. <laughs> those guys are making a lot of money, and that's true across the board. If you if you work for the government, you make decent money. If you don't work for the government, you don't. Basically, I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but that's that's the dividing line. Yeah. So, unless what do, you work for a big successful company, and you're high up in, and it. you're high up in, yeah. It. So, what does that mean? That means that cops and the military and the municipio and all these you know paper pushers are going to do what they can to protect their their space, you know, their their lot in life, 
which Korea has given them, you know, if you want to put it that way. So, you know, if me and Darnell were looking for a secretary, we would be able to put an ad out and interview 300 people tomorrow for minimum wage, no problem, because that's what the market can bear in this, you know, semi-socialist nation, which has been, you know, sort of choking out uh, business with taxes and regulations. If, if that same person could get a job working for the mayor uh, at some level, which there's hundreds of thousands of those jobs, they would make three, four times that amount, or certainly, well, minimum two times that amount. Uh, so, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And if they were a little higher up, three or four. So um, that's sort of the dichotomy, and it's a little scary, um, you know, the way that that split has sort of taken place. I mean, the cops support the president. The military supports the president. Well, of course they do. He's stolen everyone else's money and given it to them. <laughs> so, you know, um, so that's, you know, just interesting that way. You know, you take, like, the guy who has, you know, 2,000-square-meter lot, uh, which he's got, you know, a cow and some chickens and, a, you know, a little crappy house— his taxes are going up. His fees are going up. Every aspect of his life is getting harder because of government actions. And yet, you know, cop salaries are going up, military, municipal workers, etc. They're being hired. Their salaries are increasing. Interesting dynamic there that's, that's sort of unfolding here. Um, a little scary from my perspective. But I digress. Um, getting back to this article. Um, so he was talking about the $1,000 a month, uh, the tax for those making more than $1,000 a month. Uh, in recent days, he has spoken about asking the international community for loans, ones like ones likely to come with their own difficult conditions. And this and his opponents are talking about the possibility of approaching the IMF. This subsequently happened, uh, long shunned here for its demands to cut government spending. <laughs> the deficit, the lack of savings, and now an earthquake have made it clear the old way of doing things simply can't continue in Ecuador, said Jose Hilalgo, an economist who directs the Corporation for Development Studies, a research institute in Quito, the capital. <laughs> the Ecuador has become the latest country in the region where falling commodity prices have joined with other circumstances in pressuring leaders to renege on populist promises of the last decade. In oil-producing Venezuela this year, President Nicolas Maduro ordered gas stations to begin charging a nominal rate for the first time. And I'll skip some of this. Uh, in Ecuador, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake a week ago helped set off what many said was a what many say was a debate years in the making. Over the last decade, the government made significant investments in infrastructure and education while depleting emergency funds set aside for disasters like earthquakes, analysts say. Spending on government salaries also ballooned as the government grew. There you go. Mr. Korea, Mr. Correa said the bill for reconstruction would be more than $3 billion, a sum he said the government did not have. The government is using the earthquake as an excuse to introduce measures it had needed to introduce for a long time, said Francisco Rodriguez, the chief Andean economist at the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. The news did not go over well in Puerto Viejo, the largest city, and this is an important point, hit by the earthquake, where the death toll has passed 100 people. More than 600 have died throughout the country. Roberto Rodriguez, a former congressman who lives in the city, said raising taxes after a natural disaster would only make the reconstruction effort more costly for residents. The price of everything will simply go up. Concrete, asphalt, any construction material you can imagine, he said. There need to be incentives to build at a time like this. Evelyn 
Poggi, the owner of a warehouse in Puerto Viejo, said taxes had already been too high for a business before the earthquake, and Ecuador's economic contractions felt even more profoundly in provincial cities like Puerto Viejo had given her business a beating. So, you know, again, the Times nails it, strangely enough. Yeah, um, I mean, and in, in you're talking about the New York Times. Right. <laughs> I think I, I just felt that that point should be emphasized. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Darnell's, Darnell's cracking himself up. <laughs> so interesting stuff. Um, as far as the earthquake, we've got taxes going up as a result. Um, kind of, uh, I don't know. Do we want to get into Venezuela real quick? Do you have other stuff you want to touch on in the earthquake? Um, no, no, that was it about the earthquake. Okay. Um, so, you know, you want to look at, um, you know, the results of socialist government, you know, look no further than Venezuela. Uh, is an article out of Pan Am Post, looting on the rise as Venezuela runs out of food, electricity. And I won't even read the article like the headline says it all. Um, but I mean, that is what's happening right now in Venezuela. They've also, uh, no, we talked about that last week. I won't hit on that. Um, but funniest headline maybe in the history of uh, po- polit- po- political headlines blew out of Bloomberg. Venezuela does not have enough money to pay for its money. And when I read that, I said, holy shit, are they talking about debt-based money? Like, what? before I read the article, I thought, are they talking about, like, they can't pay the interest on the debt for printing money? But no, they were talking, they meant it literally. Ecuador, and this is a hilarious article, I grew, I, I encourage all of you to Google this and read it. Venezuela does not have enough money to pay for its money. It's out of Bloomberg. They mean it literally. They don't have enough money to pay the companies who are producing the physical currency that, they're, that they use in Venezuela. They can't, they can't pay the, the bill to pr- that for the companies to produce enough currency to keep up with the inflation that they've created in, in, in Venezuela. So that is um, hilarious, sad, and exceptional. I mean, that reads like a, a headline from onion. The Onion. It's like the, from The Onion, yeah. I just pulled up The Onion just to like compare it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a funny one. EPA urges Flint residents to stop dumping tap water down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Which, by the way, they've started killing people in Flint. If, uh, like, people involved in the lawsuits, like, the, I don't have any of that stuff in front of me because I didn't think we were going to talk about that. But the people who, like, maybe testify or are bringing lawsuits are now, you know, showing up dead in, uh, in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. I mean, that's that might be the only thing worse than living in Flint, Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I know you wanted to jump into some stuff about um, adjusting to life in Ecuador. Um, We got a few minutes left. I I don't know. Should I I get in the mission creep or should we just do that and call it a day? Yeah, I think we, um, I'd like to kind of end on a positive note here. Yeah, go for it. Um, Because I think that, you know, we joke a lot about these kinds of things going on in the world. And I think that's really you know, comes from a good place in the sense that, you know, I think, I know I can speak for you in this, in this case that we just love living in Ecuador and there's just so much good about Ecuador. So many things that attracted, you know, both of us here that, you know, we continue to love about it. And I think it would be reasonable to say that uh, we've both come to appreciate those things more in a lot of ways. And so some of these policies that you see happening, I think are just ruining the country and taking away a lot of the really good things. Not to say that, um, you know, thinking about leaving or anything as a result of this, it's really just 
I think, therapeutic in a certain sense. And then also from another perspective, just wanting to inform people about what's going on in the world, because a lot of the things that are happening here in Ecuador are happening all over. And um, I think it I think Ecuador and the way that it's happening here is a really good context for what's happening in other places. Um, because I think it's happening in a way in other places, particularly the United States, in a way that's more hidden or more covert. And here it's really out in the open uh, and much easier to uh, to analyze and to observe and to, um, and to talk about. I mean, and Ecuador had a long way to catch up. I mean, you know, part of the reason we don't live in the States is because of all this stuff we're talking about. Um, and, you know, this stuff is much more heavily imp- implemented there and much more easy- easily implemented there and much more accepted I would say by, you know, there's much less resistance. Um, so, I mean, if you, you know, if we did a show on the U S uh, you know, it'd be much more negative than, and I don't like that word negative. I mean, it, I, I don't actually think any of this is negative. It's just more, um, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, both of us are very optimistic. And as you said, we, I'll give you a quick anecdote in terms of life here. Um, and I actually wrote a blog about this. It'll come out next week, I believe. I'll, I'll probably publish it next week. But um, I had a friend who who had another friend who wanted me to see a property. And, and when I and the guy came by my office and we sat down and we talked. And as it turned out, the property was like an hour and a half on foot. Um, so I begru- begrudgingly agreed to go see it with him. Um, it was one of the coolest days I've had in in a, in, in a couple of months. I mean, here I am on horseback in the. Ecuadorian Andes, uh, surrounded by the most lush, green, vibrant nature you can possibly imagine, riding up into the mountains, eating wild fruit all along the way, drinking water out of the streams, pleasant, like, misting on us, (laughs) like, um, um, you know, I mean, just, you, you feel so good, you feel so good, uh, out on these properties, seeing these properties, um, Ecuador is just like beyond incredible. I, I love living here. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give you my opinions about what's going on here politically. I think that's important for people to understand. And a lot of you out there listening to this are probably going, well, Hey, I like all these, you know, socialist policies and that's fine too. And if you're into that stuff, you know, great. Uh, we're obviously not, and we're going to, you know, we're trying to entertain you and give you a good show and we're going to, you know, give you our opinions on these things. But as far as a place to live and as far as how I feel living here and the quality of life and the quality of nature and, and, you know, the cool thing about the government stuff too, is that it's very workable here. It's like, yeah, the, the, the national government, even the local governments does all kind of nonsense, which you know, every time I read about like, you know, sticks a knife in my heart. Um, at the same time, then I go to the municipio, which I do three or four times a week, unfortunately. Um, and I, especially lately, especially lately right. Or really only lately, but, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I'm dealing with the, how these policies are going to be implemented on the ground and they're all always workable. There's always a solution. There's always workable. You can always find someone to help you. You can always figure out how to get done what you're trying to get done. That's also one of my favorite things about Ecuador because I didn't, you know, I was coming from dealing with real estate in New York City and I didn't find that to be the case there uh, hardly at all. You know, dealing with bureaucracy in New York City, if they say wait six months, it means wait six months. Whereas here, (laughs) right, whereas here, you know, wait, you know, I'll have this to you in two weeks. Well, a couple of conversations later and, you you know, you might have it in three days. So, um, you know, I don't, yeah, I I, just to your point, um, I think that's important, important to drive home. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think that, you know, overall, you know, whether we have the same political ideology or whatever you want to call it with anybody who's listening to the show, I 
you know, I just prefer to focus on what we have in common is, you know, which is an interest in Ecuador. And if you're interested in Ecuador, I think we can be a resource for you. You know, whether it's the real estate tour, the relocation services, or um, the properties that we have for sale, um, you know, we're we're here to to give people um, that perspective that we didn't have when we come here when we came here that we really would have benefited from. So with that, I'll roll into a uh, really interesting article that really rang true for me um, that I would encourage everybody to read. It's from Cuenca High Life from today as well, too. And it's titled Classes at the Cuenca College for Expats, How Newcomers Pick Friends and Acquaintances Based on Cohort Traits. And it actually touches on a lot of things that we've just um, come across and, and talked about. But in I really like this article because it talks about it in a really concrete and organized way. And so I'll, I'll get into reading it. The large influx of foreigners to Cuenca has turned this small Andean city into a world-class laboratory experiment for a major amenities migration during the past decade. In the early years, it was overwhelmingly retirees from the U.S. and Canada arriving in town. While gringos continue to predominate, today we are seeing a demographic shift towards younger, more European newcomers. A notable phenomenon in the influx no matter the timing, is how the successive waves of immigrants display certain cohort characteristics. In the same ways, the expatriation movement to Cuenca can be compared to a college class to college classes. A class, in this case, constitutes a group of expats who arrive about the same time, face similar challenges together, and form a cohort group that tends to stick together to the exclusion of other classes that came before or after. Expats arriving in Cuenca 10 to 15 years ago discovered that only a handful of world travelers and adventurers had preceded them. Though newcomers were fairly tight-knit group by necessity, they hardly could be called a class, although the bartenders at Ruby Reds, Eucalyptus, and Cafecito would probably beg to differ. Uh, these circumstances and timing were too random to aggregate into a cohort. Then came what could be called the class of 2007-2008, following the first wave of Cuenca media attention. Though, although somewhat small, <clears throat> excuse me, also somewhat small, this group had a few things in common. They arrived around the same time. They were fed up with a failing economy in North America, the threat of inflation in the political circus, <laughs> the U.S. presidential election, in parentheses, yes, history does repeat itself, <laughs> and the erosion of personal liberties. They were also looking for something more out of life, although the goal was vague. This class included more investors and was more inclined to buy their housing than rent, unlike later classes. And we've talked about this group specifically in our experience, um, having dealt with you know some of the people who are now selling properties at this point. I would put those... Um, that British couple from uh, from the coast in that in that category, I would put those uh, those people who sold that property in uh, San Joaquin in that category, um, and so those people, some of those people are sticking around, some of those people are leaving. But you can certainly, those would be my impressions of those people just from interacting with them. Um, then they move on. 
Uh, the class of 2010-2011, by contrast, consisted of more strategic defaulters bailing on their mortgages and credit card debt, <laughs> <laughs> shipping down their possessions, and setting up upscale apartments and condos. This reminds me of the, uh, the sex tourists from the last <laughs> article like this you got into. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> So are you saying that the sex fault, sex uh, tourists are also serial defaulters? I, well, I don't know. Uh, that's to be determined. But, uh, you know, but funny. You, you both are funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I find it funny because it's accurate. Like, it's just like it hits the nail on the head from just in. Although in t- I've never I've never come across any sex tourists down here. Have you? Um, I did. Really? I did. <laughs> no. And the funny thing about it was. It was just funny how I came into knowing that because it was from two different people. Did, from he, two- did he grunt at a six-year-old on the street? <laughs> was that how you came to know about it? Or- no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you if he did, I wouldn't have surprised me. Mm. He so here's That's unfortunate. what unfortunate. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I mean, but they, you know, here's here's what it was. It was a um, a client of ours um, who's not that way at all but it's kind of a weirdo um and he was telling called me, one of our clients a weirdo on air huh <laughs> <laughs> well you know we we shoot from the hip here in the ecuador insider podcast <laughs> you know i'm just telling the truth <laughs> anyway so he's telling me about how he had visited all these different countries and he had visited costa rica and what really turned him off about it is that Lots of the people there were sex tourists, you know, who were there, you know, really? older guys looking for young girls. And this surprised me. I didn't so know that's anything like an about an actual this. thing. It's right? like an actual thing. So this is the first time. Right. And then, you know, I met a group of guys who came into town just randomly on the street and I had beers with them and they were in town from Costa Rica and they were definitely sex tourists. <laughs> like, I mean, they talked about it and they were like telling me Jesus. like... You know, they were like telling me about it in and, and it was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is a thing. Oh, this is the thing the guy was talking about. Wow. So this, not only are they sex tourists, but like they get together and like come here as a group of sex tourists. Like they admit to each other that they're sex tourists and like come here and talk about it. That's uh, that's mildly upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like my experience with, you know, quote unquote sex tourists. Like. And it doesn't. Well, prostitution's legal in Ecuador. Yeah, right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like underage girls. It's just like. No, right, right. right. You know. That's just kind of what what you think think of. of. Yeah, right, exactly. No, right, sure. You know, I mean, we are in Latin America. They can be 18. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's illegal. Actually, I think here it's. What is that? Actually, I don't know. Might be. (laughs) Right. Moving on. This is funny, though. Yeah, um, credit card shipping down their possessions and setting up upscale apartments and condos. Although these expats tended to buy as often as they rented, they did, to a generalized extent, establish a trend of expatriating for economic reasons. Again, there are plenty of exceptions, but the class of 2012-2013 was more a wave of economic refugees. Many, many left their home countries with a small nest egg, if any, and were focused on renting and living inexpensively. This class, as Cuenca expat movements matured, also contained a a few more hucksters, I don't know what that is, snake oil salesmen and con men than usual. 
all part of the fun and color of expat life. It should be added. As we said, the most recent classes of 2014 and 2016 are younger, often with children, and include more Europeans. Its members have most of their lives ahead of them and do not see Cuenca as their final destination. Although they are open to staying, they tend to be more entrepreneurial than earlier classes and to seek out nightlife and adventure sports. After a few years, the cohort classes tend to break apart. Some people leave Cuenca for a new expat destination or return to their home country. Others integrate more fully into the broader expat community. Some forsake the gringos in favor of Ecuadorians, especially single men and women who hook up with locals, in parentheses, and assimilate into their families and networks. Original friends have longer and deeper connection, of course, in, but most people's horizons widen, including earlier and later classes in Ecuadorians. Again, these are general observations that seem to gel into a somewhat coherent uh, comparison over time. Uh, the reasons for expatriating are rarely quite so cut and dry and can, in addition to those cited above, include work, quality of life, ability to retire, cultural exchange, climate, marriage, volunteering, a jumping off point for further travel and expat experiences, learning Spanish, teaching English, affordable health care, friend, friendly people, the ability to get around without a car, Christian ministry, God's call, healthier health, healthier food in a healthier lifestyle. What is your reason? And do you think the college classes of expat theory is accurate? This article is revised from a book, Life in Cuenca. Was, do you know who wrote that book? Uh, it is by Dake Castleman and David Morrill. Okay. Not the one I was thinking of, but I find that to be very accurate. accurate. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I wanted to share it. It's, um, it, it really rang true for me um, and really brought up some, ad, some observations that I maybe crossed my mind, but I hadn't really taken stock of them in that way. So should we leave it there? Anything to add? No. Okay, great. Well, um, again, everybody, thanks for joining us on the 19th episode of the Ecuador Insider Podcast. Again, we are real estate and relocation services firm based in Loja, Ecuador. You can reach us toll free at 888-999-0948 via email at info at abequador.com. That's A as in Apple, B as in boy, ecuador.com. Of course, you can find our blogs, our podcast, or information about properties at our website. That's www.abequador.com. And you can find out more information about our real estate tour or um, our relocation services by going to abectour.com for the real estate tour and ecrelocation.com for the relocation services. Again, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.